Today we have Rob Krulak, who is the Senior Business Development Director with CUI Card with us. Uh, so Rob, first why don't you just share a little bit about your background and uh, kind of the history behind uh, CUI Card. Yeah, hi Michael, um, good to see you today um, via Zoom. Um, so background really for me has really been involved in the uh, transportation industry and various capacities over the course of 30 years. Um, really 15 years of that was spent with uh, GM and the GM Locomotive Group, um, where we basically designed and built and manufactured locomotives that obviously had the, the, the objective of moving people and goods. Um, held various roles there for 15 years. And then as GM was selling non-core businesses, which that was one of them, um, I actually was recruited by a company to come to South Carolina. So I moved here in 1994 from the Chicago area and worked in the advanced materials um, business for a while, uh, 18 years, um, really selling and distributing you know, products also to the transportation sector. So we basically sold carbon and silicon carbide products that went into obviously automotive industry, aerospace industry, um, off-road mining industry. So there's a lot of transportation um, type applications that were in there. And then really joined ICAR and in late 2013, I had the opportunity to join the Clemson and the CU ICAR team. So really uh, part of a team with uh, people focused on industry engagement and collaboration. And um, with the things of what's going on with mobility today, um, it's a very active hotspot. And I'm very delighted to be working with uh, within the ICAR team and Clemson team, but also the, the space around mobility. Good. So, so tell us a little bit about uh, CU ICAR, the Clemson University. Um, uh, what is it? The uh, International Center on Automotive Research. Kind of what what was the uh, driving force behind the creation? What was it about Greenville and, and Clemson that, that they came up with this idea? Just you know, give us some of that stuff. Yeah, so good question, Michael. So really, um, what I can really say right out of the box of that is great vision, uh, tremendous foresight backed by uh, leaders who had the vision to do this. And, and really, this was developed in a collaborative uh, approach with industry, uh, with the state of South Carolina and the university. So we had founding partners involved that were um, you know, very, very present today. So Michelin and BMW and Timken Bering was here at the time. Um, and the vision was around the fact that mobility and automotive really at the time automotive was probably the keyword that was really growing in the state. And this was a collaborative effort to say, well, how do we how do we engage the university with what's going on with industry and where the state wants to focus, um, even from an economic development standpoint? And how do we get the university to support and provide a curriculum? So as businesses continue to grow, as their partners continue to grow, um, how do we provide the right curriculums and put things in place to support that? So that, that was really, I would say, the impetus behind that. Um, what everybody sees now is we have basically an innovation campus at CUI CAR. Um, and uh, we have, uh, you know, 250 acres. That's part of this public-private partnership. And that's just about 25% built out. We have more to go. Um, but what you have is a nucleus there that is very unique. Um, and it's a very, 
a very good opportunity for industry to co-locate and what it gives them is great access and to, to students and talent of the future as, as they go forward. Certainly great access to faculty um, and if they want to do specific type research. And of course, partner to partner collaboration. Um, those that are co-located right there can easily collaborate. And certainly partners that we deal with that aren't even located on the campus, they certainly have that, that extension to work very closely. Um, and collaborate, and, and it's the way industry chooses. So even though it's a public-private partnership, there is no pay-to-play model. That's not the way it's situated. It's really there for industry to come in, and they can do uh, select research on their own, or they can be part of maybe a larger government type of funded research project. So those are really the forms of engagement. And from a curriculum standpoint, what, what's really evolved out of that is an automotive engineering program um, that's at the master's and PhD level, really the first of its kind um, nationally and, and probably even globally. So, so I didn't realize that uh, any industry or, or any uh, company could come in and use the services of ICAR. So you mentioned Michelin and BMW, two local companies. I imagine they have have been involved but so do we have other companies uh, nationally that have that have come in and, and worked with icar oh yeah um, definitely so um, we probably work with close to 150 different um, partners um, that are very very much global um, and some are very regional so it, it just depends so to give you give you an idea from the automotive side of course we deal with um, just like Bosch, for example, we've got three key Bosch facilities um, located here in the state. Um, we also have GE Energy, which is just about three miles from the CUI car campus. But GE Energy, even though it's not automotive, has done some advanced manufacturing work um, utilizing CUI car um, resources, students and faculty. So, um, yes, you don't have to be in the state and in the region. And by all means, uh, people from all over uh, certainly keep keep the programs going and, and support and come and use um, the resources. Okay, that's great. Helping their own needs in the marketplace. Yeah, wow, that, that's actually really interesting. I, I wasn't aware of that. So you also serve as the co-chair for the Technology and Innovation Task Force uh, for the Upstate Mobility Alliance, and you've been involved in, in this kind of work for a long time. So what's kind of your overall approach uh, to evaluating technology? And uh, you know, kind of what do you what do you look for? How do you how do you determine if a technology is, is maybe useful? Just kind of talk us through some of your your thoughts of, of how you use technology and evaluate it. So, um, for, first of all, I'm happy to to support being a co-chair, and and I'm I'm very thankful that I'm one of two. So we have two co-chairs on on the task force, so we get to to spread, spread the work a little, a little bit there and really the creative thought process. Um, and equally as important is we have some very, very good um, industry leaders um, from the community who have uh, volunteered to also be part of the task force. I think that's a key, key component of this, that we're all volunteering to support this uh, because we wanna see uh, opportunities for the future of mobility and, and the Upstate Mobility Alliance to grow. So very thankful for, to have them. Um, but we're a task force of maybe 12 people um, with a lot of expertise and, and skills around the table, but it, it's much more than just the 12 people. So the ability to evaluate technologies and how we do that is really us 
and our networks and our extended networks. So it really goes much more beyond just the people sitting around, around that particular table um, because we may not be experts in that particular area, but we may have access to other experts. And of course we have the, the access to Clemson faculty as well. So even though CUICAR has a group of faculty present right on its campus, that doesn't limit us from anything. We we use the full access and capability of all of Clemson faculty. So we have that whole nucleus behind us to work with. And, and that's the way we would approach evaluating technology. I think ultimately though, um, what we have to really ask ourselves around the technology is what is the problem we're trying to solve? What is the use case? And that kind of leads and can potentially steer us into well, then from that standpoint, what are the technologies that we need? Um, but I think the other thing that's really important to say is it, it's really not just about the technology. It's very easy for everybody to want to get consumed and talk about the technology, but it really starts with the people first. Um, and not only the people who may be the experts in the technology, but the people who may actually benefit from whatever that technology is you have to put the right process in place to evaluate it to your point depending on what it is and incorporate that technology in terms of whatever that is and then really I think look at the right business models so business models are important to what drive this and those business models should be based on really what who the end user is going to be and, and, and how they want to use it for value yeah that, that's some really great point um, and, and especially when we when we think about when most of us think about uh, automotive technology and innovation, the first thing that comes to mind is this self-driving vehicle. And uh, there's a lot of uh, press about it, both on the positive side and then the negative side, which I think um, to your point about having people really need to buy into this technology. Um, you being in this space and, and kind of you know, seeing and knowing about things, maybe even before they become more public, what are some of the technologies out there that you're really excited about? Yeah, so so autonomous vehicles do do get a lot of press um, and they get a lot of attention and, and it's very cool and dynamic and I think people are intrigued by it. Um, I think what, what doesn't get mentioned often enough is that there are different levels of autonomy. So um, no one just goes from driving to self-driving. Um, actually, there's, there's kind of five designated, designated levels of autonomy that exist today. We're kind of currently, if anybody was buying a newer vehicle today and wanted some form of incremental autonomy in there, it's basically what would be classified as level three. So somebody can kind of drive and maybe go down the interstate and take their, their hands off the wheel. And, but as soon as their eyes move and they tend to look out the side window or a different place, a, a warning system would go off in their vehicle and, and alert them that they need to put their hands back on the wheel. So yeah. that's kind of the stage where we're at with level three. I mean, level four um, is quite the leap. Um, that is really more fully autonomous driving, but still with a driver behind the wheel and under certain road conditions. Um, and then level five is what they call really fully autonomous, uh, no driver. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know the answer. I don't know if anybody does. I mean, everybody's autonomous vehicles, but level four may be good enough. Um, we don't know. Um, maybe delivery type vehicles may need full level five. So I think all that's playing out. And I think while autonomous vehicles continue to play out, 
there are various stages of technology changes that impact all of us as we get there. And, and while that's being designed and developed and prototyped and everything else, we've got electric vehicles that seem to be another business model that fit in the mix there. And, and even there, you can see we've got a lot of people that are just trying to get caught up to speed about an electric vehicle and what's the value and um, where's the cost benefit to it and how they would use it. And some people might even have uh, range anxiety over the fact of an electric vehicle. So there are different stages, different platforms and different, what I would say called product portfolios that are all incremental under this big umbrella of mobility uh, where people will decide where they want to go and how they want to use it. Yeah, so, so I think what I hear you say is it'll probably be a mix uh, people based on the people's level of comfort. Yeah, there will be a mix. And I think your question also was about other technologies. So we just talked a little bit about EVs, but I think um, advanced materials is another um, broader scope of technologies that is going to be very important in these vehicles. Uh, the human machine interface. So um, if people are in somewhat semi-autonomous mode, what are they doing with their hands? Can they do voice gesture control, hand gesture control, different things that control the radio or heating and air conditioning aspects of the vehicle? Um, so, so those are technologies that, again, bring us back to this connected and automated world, but in a very incremental stage. And that will help influence user adoption, I believe. Yeah, no, that that's really interesting. So, what um, you know, we talked a lot about about cars and and the technology uh, around around cars. What else is out there? You know, you did mention you know maybe at some point do we have more of the delivery vehicles be fully autonomous? Um, what what else is going on out there in that transportation and mobility space? Well, so all this stuff is is translatable to other. Um, forms of mobility so off-road uh, highway vehicles for my off-road mining you know type yeah. vehicles um, of, of course delivery services um, agriculture in a big way uses various tractors and different things where um, these things are now probably in an environment that is much more safer for autonomy um, that applications can be used and then and not only is it just the autonomy, but it's the technology they use for whatever applications and environments that they're used in that really change the dynamics of, of efficiency. All, all this really at the end of the day is about how to improve efficiency um, and do things faster and brings new technologies to market at incremental stages and then where they can be con consumed by maybe more of a consumer market at, in scale. Yeah, sure. So at least here in South Carolina, you know, whenever I think about our roadways and just mobility in general, we've got some fairly uh, large hurdles to overcome. You know, we, we consistently rank one of the highest states in the country with traffic fatalities, but also with cycling and pedestrian fatalities. Um, so I ask you to, to think out maybe in, in 20 years or so. Um, what do you think mobility looks like and, and especially in, in terms of safety do you think that this technology is, is going to um, improve safety overall and do you think that is is part of the goal along with being more efficient 
Well, I think what's always been true in the automotive industry and, and even automotive as it goes forward, even, even more so in today with all these converging technologies, um, automotive companies are very, uh, the first thing that ever comes up and across their mind is safety. So a lot of this autonomous work that's going on today is a good majority of it is still through simulation. And they'll tell you simulation is the safest form of autonomy right now. And that's yeah. the way they'll do it. Um, so when they put these vehicles and these technologies actually on the roads, um, safety by all means is, is the number one goal. And that's what actually may slow down the technology from reaching the consumer market. So I would say in a lot of cases, the technology is even already there. It's just a matter of how they incrementally get it to, to meet the safety standards um, that, that are gonna be developed as, as this continues to grow. And um, it's gonna be very cautious and very careful about how they do that. Um, and, and let me just mention this from the upstate standpoint, because when they develop this technology, I mean, I know we talk about the upstate and, and the whole state of South Carolina around uh, having a, a key automotive component. We do. Um, it's really from the design, from the manufacturing standpoint. When we look at where a lot of the vehicle design is done today, um, we have to remember that's done either in Detroit or California or places like Munich. Sure. Um, but what we're doing here is we're manufacturing the vehicle. So that's kind of the second element that I put a category in. And the third, third category is really services. So when, when you look at manufacturing the vehicle, a lot of the same technologies from my perspective that go into making a car smart or a car autonomous um, are the same technologies that the manufacturing plants want to put into the manufacturing capability. So that's an opportunity for us as, as a state and as a region to align with industry to also bring some of those technologies in, into the spaces where we're active. Another opportunity I think for us is services. So as some of these technologies roll out into the future um, and they become more popular, they may also be more expensive. So people may not own some of these things in the future, but they may, they may use them on the services side. And I think that's an opportunity where this technology and convergence also crosses over. Uh, those, those are some actually really good points. Um, so Rob, anything else that you would like to mention or, or highlight uh, about ICAR or yourself? Yeah, I would. I mean, you mentioned, you know, where, what future mobility looks like. I think I'd yeah. like to just echo um, maybe what our current Deep Orange student team is. For those who aren't familiar with Deep Orange, um, that's a vehicle system in a program where the students basically design and develop a vehicle from scratch in two years. Wow. Um, meant to be a learning tool, an educational tool, so that's part of the university. But again, for them, their end product is a vehicle. Um, they're actually working on a product, uh, uh, on a project right now that's um, based on the year 2045. Um, they're doing it in collaboration with uh, great industry partners. So we have ExxonMobil and Honda and Michelin, just to name a few. We probably have another 12 to 14 other partners in the supply chain working on various technologies for there. Um, but as they look at the year 25, what they're really looking at is how to use a vehicle that can maybe move and shuttle a group of people around a city and urban environment. Um, so take downtown Greenville to go from where the high it is maybe to the West End. Um, also use that vehicle um, to get 
various people to medical appointments that, that don't have the ability to drive, uh, so disabled or, or elderly. And then the other thing is going to change in mobility is the interior of the vehicle, and that's already changing. So if, if we get to more semi-autonomous and autonomous vehicles, um, the interior of the vehicles is going to change dramatically. Um, so even one of the things that they're looking at in this vehicle is, okay, it's used for moving people for various things, but when it's not moving people, how do you easily reconfigure the interior so that maybe you can load the vehicle now with packages and goods and then have the vehicle in a delivery service mode when it's not moving people? Yeah. All that to say is now you've got a vehicle that may be used 18 hours of the 24-hour day, whereas where we have our own vehicles today, we drive them to work and we park them or we move around certain points of the day. But in terms of that, the vehicle's nowhere in use for 18 hours a day. Right. Now, I think what it's showing is you're migrating from a, a single vehicle to a vehicle multi-purpose, which might mean fleets. So I think the thing we got to be conscious of and take a look at going forward, which I also think is a big opportunity, is fleets, so service fleets. And if we don't own these vehicles and we're just using them now, somebody's managing the fleet. Mm-hmm. And the opportunity with the fleet is it's an asset. So now you're adding in things like, how do you manage the fleet to its efficiency? Um, and that, that's where data analytics comes in. And when you bring the data piece, you're bringing in um, continuous improvement. When you're bringing that in, you're extending the life of the vehicle. Um, you're looking at a longer lifespan. Now you need materials in the vehicle that can be fully recycled and repurposed. And now you're entering into the circular economy. So I lay that all out there because that is actually the big scope of, of a project that these students are looking at and making tremendous progress on. There's different business models in there. There's different applications. And, and all this is a tremendous opportunity that can be rolled out incrementally for real, real live business cases. Sure. And, and it sounds like these students are just learning not just one piece of, of the process. I mean, they, it sounds like they're truly learning it from design all the way through manufacturer and like you said you know uh, working with suppliers and, and thinking I, I just think that program uh, produces a, a, a an employee that uh, can can really think on their feet and work in this future kind of technology space I think that's a great program yeah you're absolutely right so it's the systems integration piece so it's how do you integrate in all this technology to be able to use it um, and, and that's a real value add. And that's actually what industry is extremely interested in. Um, and that's why our students are, are very highly sought after. And we have the opportunity to do this it's experiential learning is really what this is. Yeah. We have a tremendous opportunity to say, well, we don't have to just do this for vehicles. How do we do this for a larger scale project for maybe um, high technology and, and advanced manufacturing plants? Um, where we can have multidisciplinary teams doing things and, and delivering end results like that for other applications besides just vehicles. Um, you know, Clemson and the students and the faculty have the know-how to do this and they know how to teach this. And with the appetite of industry that wants to do this, I think this is a great, a great platform and opportunity for us to kind of expand it. No, I, I agree and, and think that Clemson and, and ICAR specifically has just been really a great asset for, for Greenville and, and then the upstate and, and South Carolina overall, because as you, as you mentioned, uh, you know, we, 
switched from being a, a textile-based uh, industry to automotive, which then has allowed us to enter into this technology space and really have the resources right here in our own backyard to, to do the work that we need to um, and, and hopefully continue to attract more business and industry to the upstate. So. And Michael, what that has allowed um, us as Clemson to really do is expand the educational requirements um, that are needed at the campus. So for example, in the fall of this year, um, we have an element of the School of Computing from the main campus that's gonna be available to teach courses on the CU ICAR campus, but to be able to teach them for industry. So for example, people that might've graduated from the university five, seven years ago, any university, that might not have got taught or had ex been exposed to this, now have the opportunity for continuing education to take these courses um, right here in Greenville. Um, the other thing is from an advanced manufacturing standpoint with um, Clemson's launched Center for Advanced Manufacturing, where we're also trying to help get people who are engaged in these new technologies, the word digitalization, um, and that's gonna be taught and also help, um, you know, educate the existing workforces for all the, for all this new technology that exists and the companies are, are working on that they're trying to figure out how to get that that education to their existing employees yeah i think that's i mean it's just important because as we as we continue to see uh the economy just shift and, and change in different focus areas it, i mean the ability to keep our workforce uh trained to the proper level and be flexible enough from a, a education and mental standpoint to be able to learn new technologies and have those resources i think uh, is just really great and so thank you rob for what you do and and you know thanks to icar and clemson just really a lot of great work and we really are are uh, really just blessed to have to have you guys uh, here in the upstate so so thank you rob and thank you for being here with us today Michael, it was my pleasure, and I really appreciate the invite for the opportunity. And thank you for doing these, um, I'll call them podcasts, while we're, we're all kind of sure. working from home with the hopes of uh, getting, getting back um, in person soon. Um, so yeah. I appreciate your efforts to do this as well. Good. Take care, Rob. All right, Michael. Thank you so much. Bye now.